0: that we're doing on spiritual formation about five weeks ago we started talking about the disciplines that we do in our life to keep Jesus at the center of our life so during this series we're going to talk about things like prayer and forgiveness and repentance talk about study and bible reading and living in community so five weeks ago we started out the series by talking about surrender Because that is one of the key focal points in the Christian life is daily surrendering to Jesus. Saying daily I want to live for Jesus. And then after that we spent a couple weeks talking about silence and solitude. The practices of meditation. The practices of being quiet before God so he can change your heart and he can change your mind. And then last week we started talking about things of our past. start dealing with things in our past. And we know that can be a difficult topic because sometimes the past... The things you don't deal with because they're painful. And so we kind of tend to ignore those things. But we're looking at that for last week and this week and next week because we all know that things in our past influence us today for the good or the bad. And sometimes it seems like a lot of the bad things in the past that influence us. We just don't know how to break free from that cycle. Unfortunately, God has a really strategic plan for us to follow to be set free from our past. So, I mean, the reason I want to just highlight back again, the reason that we spend so much time talking about spiritual formation is because that's the way, that's what God does and uses in our life to change us, to change our mind and to change our heart. Spiritual formation is not about doing things to make God like us more or to make Jesus happier with us or maybe to get a blessing from God. God's view of us has been established before we were even created that He loves us, end of the sentence and there's nothing we could do to make him love us more or less. We do these things, we do these practices, so our hearts and our minds change. So that's why we're jumping into it. But also we're really focusing on dealing with your past because it's a wonderful way to honor God. Dealing with your past is a way to say to God, you know, there's things in my past that are out of control, that are controlling me today, and I don't want to be controlled by anything but you. So to submit your past to God, to submit these things in your life that hurt you is honoring to God. And God is glorified when we submit things to him, like even things like our past. So I think, you know, one person once said that, you know, you can't control your past, but you can change how you experience it today. Or you can change how it influences you today. And as followers of Jesus, we know the only way that really happens is through an authentic relationship with Christ. So I want to start today by reading a text which is pretty similar to this last song that Jake had us read. It's from Psalm 139, verse 13 through 16. Our life started out pretty simple, pretty uncomplicated. We read in Psalm 139 where it says, For you you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. ordained for me were written in your book that's a lot of really good planning that's a lot of strategic planning but also that is just very comforting to know that what is happening in my life is not a surprise to God that what's happening in my life is not some random events happening that there's no no rhyme or reason but it is a life that has been very well planned by God and that God has been with me through every day And that's comforting. But what's also comforting is how David describes himself. David says, I was fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, that's a really good reminder. Because I think for a lot of us, when we look in the mirror, we sometimes don't think, wow, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. I think sometimes we do the opposite. We look in the mirror and think, I'm not too impressed. Or, why did this happen? David reminds us you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Actually, David is saying, I'm rejoicing because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. See, when David says wonderfully made, he's using a word that means that I am separate, that I am distinguished and that I am unique. David's drawing on the fact that God created David different from everybody else. But so often our default is, I would be better if I was somebody else. And David is saying, no, God strategically created me unique and distinguished from everybody else. And I'm rejoicing in that. And then David says, I am fearfully fearfully made as well, which is referring to the fear of the Lord. And he's not talking about the fear of God, I'm scared of God. He's talking about that deep reverence that you have for God. See, we were created to be unique and we are created to fear God we are created to to have a deep respect and awe and reverence for God and when those two things come together you see your true identity emerge people uniquely created to worship God and I love what David is saying he's saying I am rejoicing because I'm looking at my life and saying that is incredible that I am fearfully and wonderfully made David is agreeing that what God did in his life is a really good plan. And that is making David very happy. David's looking at his life and he's saying, I'm at peace with who I am. I'm at peace with how God created me to be. And David understands that God has a unique purpose for him. And David understands that the life that God has for him has been planned out for him. And it's going to bring him joy and peace and happiness. But so often in our Christian life, we don't experience the joy and the peace and the happiness we're looking for. Instead, I think sometimes what we seem to experience is more worry or more rejection or more discouragement. And sometimes you wonder, why? Why am I not experiencing this abundant life that God has for me? Why am I not like David? Why do I look in the mirror and think, ugh. I'm not too impressed. I mean, the question that we have is what went wrong? What happened? And so often it's the painful events in our past or the painful memories that we have that often tell us a different way to live today. So we know that when we follow Jesus, we've been regenerated. We know that God has a good plan for us, but sometimes we don't feel like we're living in that plan that God has for us. Instead, sometimes we feel like we have two different scripts that we're following. On one hand, we're living in the kingdom of God, following the word of God, following his plan for us, but then there's also that script in our hearts. That's kind of the past telling us how to act and how to behave. And so the question in front of us is what script are you following? Are you following the script that God has for you that he created you to to follow? Or are you following the script of your past that's kind of negative and condemnation? See, so we know that our past, what happens when a harmful, painful thing happens to us, it creates lies. It creates lies that we believe about ourselves or who we are or lies that we believe about who God is. And sometimes the biggest battle that we face is the battle in our mind of who we are and what God created us to be or who God really is. So what do we do about that? What do you do when you don't feel like you are experiencing the life that God has for you? Instead of feeling joy, you feel more sadness. Instead of feeling freedom, you feel more bondage. See, Paul has some good advice for us in Second Corinthians 10, or chapter 10, verse 3 to 5. Paul says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ that's some good advice that Paul is giving to us and Paul didn't come up with this advice because he thought hey this is a theory that might work he didn't randomly write down some ideas instead what Paul is giving to us is instruction that God gave to him to fight the own lies that were happening in his life The reason Paul wrote 2 Corinthians is because there are people in the church and people in the community that were lying about Paul. They were saying Paul is somebody who's not who you think he is. They were saying that Paul is not a good teacher. They were saying what Paul is teaching is false. So Paul was dealing face-to-face with lies that were being told about him. And this is what God told Paul, and so Paul is giving us this same advice. See, the fact is we are all a little bit like Paul. Well, we're all a lot alike, Paul, because we have an enemy. We have a common enemy who is the enemy who is constantly lying to us about who we are. Listen to how Jesus describes Satan. In John verse 8 through 44, he says, He was a murderer from the beginning. He has, he has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That is who is our enemy that is the one who is ultimately lying to us. So Paul is dealing with lies that have been spoken about him, been spoken about his back, and so he's teaching us how to do the same thing. He's teaching us how to guard our mind, how to strengthen our mind, and how to renew our mind, because the battle in our life is usually in our mind. So each of us has heard lies about who we are. Each of us has had to deal with rejection. Each of us had to deal with interpreting events that we kind of come out as the loser in the event. How do you deal with those kind of things? So this is Paul's advice. The first thing that he says is in verse three, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The first thing that Paul wants us to understand is that we are all in a spiritual battle. Every single one of us is in a spiritual battle 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Here's a quote by Don Barnhouse in the book he wrote, The Invisible War. He says, it is the battle for your mind and that battle is vicious. It is intense. It is unrelenting and it is unfair because Satan never plays fair. And the reason why it is so intense is that your greatest asset is your mind. See, that's the starting point Paul wants us to understand is there's a battle and the enemy is using the weapons of lies to lie to each one of us. And the second thing that Paul wants us to know is that we have weapons to fight this battle. That God has given us strategic weapons to pull down strongholds. And the weapon that God is giving us is the truth. So that's awfully encouraging that we have weapons to pull down strongholds. But I think most of us are like, what is a stronghold? We're not too sure what a stronghold is. In verse 4, Paul says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have the divine power to demolish strongholds. Demolish strongholds, what Paul is doing here is he's going to give us a, a picture, a word picture of what a stronghold is. Stronghold is um, it's a defensive structure that's designed to keep the enemy out. If you think back into ancient times, you think about somebody might have a castle and around it they're going to build a big wall. That wall would be called the stronghold. Or you think of the movie Lord of the Rings. You think of all those different cities and the cities were surrounded by a big wall around it to keep the enemies out. Some of you know from history that these walls could be 50 feet high, they could be 10 feet thick and the whole idea was you keep the enemy out. So you build a stronghold around it and you make whatever's inside very secure from what is on the outside. That is what a stronghold is. So people that are listening to Paul would automatically know, I know what a stronghold is because they live in the Roman Empire. They're used to having seeing cities surrounded by big walls. But now Paul is going to flip this and he's going to help us understand what the enemy is doing to each of us. What Paul is saying is what the enemy does is he builds a a stronghold or he builds a lie's Or he builds a wall of lies around people to keep them isolated and to keep them away from the truth of God. And so what Paul is saying, that is what happens to you when you believe the lies of the enemy. The enemy will use those lies and he will build walls around you so that the truth of who God is and the truth of who you truly are will never reach you. That's why sometimes you can be a follower of Jesus and sometimes you have a hard time understanding and experiencing that you are fearfully and wonderfully made because the enemy has spent so much time building a wall around you that you think the exact opposite of who you are. And sometimes that's why being a Christian can be frustrating because you read in the word life is supposed to be like this but what you experience is completely different. But that's where Jesus comes in to set the captives free. So how do these walls fall down? If you go to the book of Matthew, um, Jesus gives us a, a better understanding of how people get set free. In Matthew, Jesus says, in Matthew 12, verse 28, Jesus says, but if I am casting out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. For who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger someone who could tie him up and plunder his house and that is what Jesus has promised to each of us that he is stronger than any weapon formed against you that what Jesus will do is he will come into your situation and he will tie up the one that is making the lies he will tie up the one that is harming you to set you free so anytime there's going to be a demolishing of strongholds or demolishing of walls it is because Jesus is going before you to take care of that for you so the question is, what are these strongholds and what are these lies made up of? How does, enemy, how does the enemy do that? What does he use to lie to us? I think Rick Warren says it well. He says there's kind of two good categories of lies. Number one can just be worldviews. A lot of times we have a false worldview. We have different, we could have a false worldview on a religion that's not correct that we could be following. We could have different political views that are lead us into destruction. A lot of us right now ideologies are popular in our culture. Most people think I know what the world's problem is and I know how to solve them. Sometimes they have a lot of good insight, but sometimes they're completely wrong. And sometimes your very own ideologies can produce a stronghold that are gonna block you in from receiving the truth. Then another area of a stronghold is your personal attitudes. It can be your attitude about yourself that I'm not very I'm not very good or I'm not very worth don't have much worth can be a lot of different lies of rejection can be a lot of insecurities it can be just idols that we've created to keep ourselves safe but that's what jesus is going to come destroy he will help bring truth into your situation so you can distinguish what worldviews that you have accepted that are wrong and also to change your attitude but then in verse five it goes even further and paul says we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of god Now, Paul is even going further than just strongholds are going to be broken. He said what God is also going to do is he's going to set you free from arguments. And you're wondering, what are arguments? Arguments are the lies that the enemy uses or the situation that the enemy uses to make you believe a lie. Sometimes the arguments arguments are things that influence you to believe the lies. Arguments can be things in your past that the enemy will say, yeah, you should be rejected because of this. Or the enemy said, you will never amount to anything because of this. The arguments are the reasoning that the enemy gets you to believe a lie. And God says, I will destroy those as well. And the final thing in this verse is you also destroy pretensions, which are quite often our arrogance or pride that say, we know better than God. Usually, eventually, what happens if a person is heard enough, believes enough lies, then they have to start thinking different than what the Word of God says, and we start believing these lies, and those are called pretensions. And God says He will destroy those too. And then we come to verse 5, the second part of 5, and it says, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. See, Jesus is the one that's going to set us free, and He comes to our life, into our life, and starts taking down those walls stone by stone by stone. And sometimes you notice a quick, sometimes quickly part of that wall is removed. And sometimes it seems like part of that wall seems to stay there forever. And you wonder if it's ever going to be removed. And see, that process of taking down that wall is just another way to say deliverance. It's what Jesus does in our life on a daily basis to just set us free from those lies. And sometimes to go through this process You can't do it alone you need somebody to step in to help you you need somebody to come alongside of you and help demolish that wall or those arguments or those pretensions that you are facing but what paul is talking about in here with submitting he's saying there's some personal responsibility that we need to do we can't just sit back and say wait for god to demolish everything and to set us free there's some cooperation that we need to do with his plan And that's why Paul says we need to take captive every thought. What Paul is saying is that we need to control, we need to conquer, and we need to bring into submission every thought or every lie that we are believing. So how do you do that? See, that's the hard part of it. Because sometimes you don't even know you're believing a lie. That's why it's a lie. And that's why Satan is so deceiving. Because sometimes he tricks us into things that we are not even aware of. Some of us feel like Paul in Romans 7 where Paul says, I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. I think sometimes we feel like that and that sometimes is an indication of the lies that the enemy is using on us to control us. That we're not even sure why we're doing certain things. It's usually an indication that there might be something in your past or something that is controlling you that you need to have God figure out what to do. So how does all this happen? Some of you might say, I've been reading the scripture forever and I don't see things really happening. How is this going to happen? Because I do feel like you might be thinking, I have areas in my life I would like to see a little bit more of this. I think first thing that we need to understand is what is God's ultimate goal in this process? See, God's ultimate goal is always his relationship with us. His ultimate goal is to always draw us deeper into relationship with him so we trust him more, we rely on him more, and we seek him more, and we're more satisfied with him, and we find God meeting every single one of our needs. And sometimes because God loves us so much, he delays some of the requests to these prayers so he can even do a deeper work in each of us. But another thing that God wants us to do in this process is to help expose the lies so we can do what we are responsible for. I like this quote by John Mark Comer. He says, Every thought in your mind needs to be filtered. If you are going to survive this war, you need to be a domineering, controlling, micromanaging tyrant when it comes to your thought life. Any and all thoughts outside of God's word, you take captive, shut up, and expel. You give those thoughts no time, no mental real estate, no free pass. You throw those thoughts into prison. No better yet, you send, those, you send them straight to solitary confinement. And when you're done, you throw away the key. So how do we do this? How do you do this in your life? How do you see yourself free? How do you see these strongholds taken down? I just want to close by talking about just four points on what is our responsibility. The first thing is a lie needs to be exposed. Some of us just need to spend time with God saying, what lies do I believe? Or is there anything from my past that is controlling me? Or are there any painful events in my past that have caused me to believe a lie? Sometimes that starts there with just the Holy Spirit leading us. I think the important thing to remember when we're dealing with our past is what Jesus said in the book of Matthew, where he said he is the one who's going to go in and tie up the evil one so that we can get free. When you start talking about dealing with your past, it's usually because Jesus is already leading you into this adventure and he already has a plan and you're going to follow him as he's leading to go forth and tie up the enemy so you can become free. But the first thing we need to do is spend time with the Lord and asking Him, are there any lies that we believe in? That's why before we started talking about dealing with your past, we spent so much time talking about silence and solitude, of taking the time to sit with Jesus and say, you need to show me some things in my life. Sometimes you believe a lie for decades, you can't expect a quick answer, you're going to figure it out one little prayer, but it's going to take time sitting with Jesus to have Him expose things in your life. And then as Jesus exposes those lies or the things that you believe that are not true, the second thing we need to do is we need to renounce or to reject the times that we agreed with those. See, so often what happens for a lot of people is we hear a lie, we receive a lie, we fuss about it for a while, and then we just kind of put up with it. But we never get to the place where we totally reject the lie. Or we say, I'm not going to receive this lie. And we renounce it. And we ask God to forgive us for believing the lie. But we also ask him to help us to stop believing that lie as well. Because sometimes when you believed in something for so long, it doesn't go away quickly. And again, this is a process that's going to take a lot of meditation. It's going to take a lot of time sitting with God to ask him to rewire your mind. Becky said to me earlier this week, she said, "You know, a lot of people say to her, I don't know how to meditate. It's hard for me to meditate. It's hard for me to sit with Jesus for more than five minutes. And she said to me, but you know, we all know how to meditate when we get mad at somebody. When you're mad at someone, you can sit and stew about that person for days on end. You can get up in the morning and your first thought is, I'm mad at that person. And you replay that tape in your mind. We all know how to meditate. We just need to meditate in the right way that all you're thinking about is Jesus setting me free. That all you're thinking about is how God can teach you that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's how we meditate. When you start reading those scriptures and you start perseverating on scripture in a good way and it starts to erase the lies that you believed. And that's how we give those lies to Jesus, through meditating, through God leading leading us. And that's the hard thing. Because sometimes you believe those lies for such a long time, but the only way that you're going to be set free from them is when you hand them over to Jesus and you say, Jesus, you need to tie this lie up and get rid of it for me. Because sometimes we've been believing it for such a long time. This is not going to go away by willpower or self-determination. It only goes away by consistently giving it to Jesus. And sometimes we need to give it to him more than once because we're so used to living with that lie that sometimes on a daily basis we have to surrender that lie and say, Jesus, I need you to take that away from me, especially something that is really rooted and you've had believed in for such a long time. Then the final thing is we need to resist Satan because he will come back again and try to get you to believe that lie. In Ephesians 6, it says, In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. His fiery darts the lies that he says to us over and over again. And the shield of faith just happens. You build up that shield of faith by your spiritual formation, by spending time with Jesus. And then James says in chapter 4, verse 7, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We need to resist him because he will try to come back time and time again. And the fifth thing that we need to do is confess the truth of what the scripture says about you. And maybe just start by reading Psalm 139 and say, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Even if you're not really sure that it's true about you. But because it's in the Bible, you know it's true. And so you start just confessing the truth, even if you're not that sure. And then over time, God just begins to tear down those walls, tear down the lies so that we can be set free. You know, when I was preparing this message, I was kind of struggling because I'm like, I know who my audience is going to be. These people are listening to me. I already know what I'm talking about. It's going to be kind of boring to them. And so I was kind of struggling. Do I do this message? I kept coming back. I really need to do it. And I think one of the reasons why God had me do this message is because most of you do this exercise of resisting the devil, of renouncing his lies, about giving them to Jesus just by muscle memory. You're just so conditioned to do that as a follower of Jesus, you know how to do that. And sometimes it's good to pause and say, how do I do that? To remind yourself, because not only are we supposed to do this for ourselves, but we're supposed to teach other people how to do this. And sometimes it's a good reminder for us to remember, how do we fight the enemy? How do we resist the enemy? How do we teach other people to reject the lies that the enemy is speaking against them? Because we live in a world right now that has been saturated with disappointment, with frustration, with discouragement, with hopelessness. I think the CDC came out and said the highest um, incidences of overdoses happened last year. We're seeing, as Donna said, we've had more homicides in Grand Rapids in the last year than we've had in, what, 20 prior years. We are seeing incidences of people unrestful, people are discouraged, and people are hopeless. And we, as the church, are called to be the ambassadors for Christ. We are to teach people the truth of who Jesus is, but also teach people How do you stand against the lies of the enemy? That's what we're called to do because that's what people need now. Well, they always need it, but it seems like they need it a whole lot after the last 18 months. People are discouraged, they're leaving jobs, leaving relationships, and they're all searching for the true identity that they're fearfully and wonderfully made, but they're looking for it in all the wrong places. And that is what we have as a church the ability to share with people their true identity of being fearfully and wonderfully made. So let me pray for you and let me pray for our city before Jake comes up and closes us. God, I thank you for this message. I thank you, God, that we are created in your image and that you created us to be fearfully and wonderfully made. God, I thank you for the true identity that you've given to every person in this room and every person that's listening to me online or parts of our community that are not with us today. God, I pray that you would establish in us even further and even deeper, Lord, what it means to be fearfully and wonderfully made, that we would know that intimately well. God, we do declare and we thank you, Lord, for your word that says you will pull down any strongholds in our life that you will pull down and that you would break us free from any arguments or any pretensions that are happening in our life. And God, I pray that for this community, that you would set us free, that you would deliver each and every one of us from any lies that we're believing about ourselves. I pray, God, that you would set us free from any arguments that the enemies used in our life to convince us to believe these lies. God, I pray that you would heal us from any past hurts and wounds and disappointments, that you would heal us from rejection. God, I pray that the power of your spirit would move through this community to set us free so we can be who you truly created us to be, that we can experience like David and say, I rejoice because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. God, we pray that you would do that work in this community, not just for us, but so that we can be a blessing to this neighborhood and to the city and to the state and to the nations of the world. God, you've called us to reach out to other people. God, you've called us to be your ambassadors. You've called us to be your missionaries. And God, I pray that you would just encourage each of us to do that. Encourage us to share the good news, to share our story, to share our testimony, but also, Lord, to listen to other people. God, I pray strategically that you would put each of us at the right place at the right time this week so we can share with other people what you've done in our life and what you're doing in our life. God, would you give us the opportunity to share and give us also the courage to share as well. God, we do pray for revival in this city. We pray for revival in this neighborhood. We pray for revival in these 350 houses that surround this church. We pray for renewal in this city and for our nation and for the nations of the world. But God, I pray that you would just give us more of your power and more of your boldness and more of your unction to do what you've already called us to do. Fill us with drive and determination, God. Lord, I thank you that you have anointed us and that you've equipped us, that you've trained us, that you have prepared us for such a time as this. Now, God, I pray that you'd give us the boldness today as we leave here to reach out to people, to be bold for you, to take risks for you. Lord, I thank you that we're equipped. the so Lord, as Jake leads us into this last song, God, I pray that you'd minister to each person here and each person online and part of our community and, and minister to our neighborhood. Lord, would you show us and reveal to each of us why we're here today or why we're listening to this message today and what you have in this message that you want us to glean from it and pull out of it. Amen.